Oh. And wait, she's out of the shot Good morning. We are at the Freiburg New Church Assembly. This is the second week. It's on Thursday. This is the second lecture. I'm Gard Perry, and my title is Soul Body Interaction Part One. So, um, got two kinds of ways to uh, start you off. One is a very brief main story. I was reminded when I was asked to tell a main story on the porch about our experience of time and space relevant to our today's topic. So the tourist, uh, many of you have heard this, but stories worth telling many times are often good, worth, worth listening to many times. <laughs> So the tourist stops in front of the farm and the farmer is standing by the side of the road and the tourist asks, does this road go to Portland? The farmer looks a little bit confused, looks at the road up one way, up down the other and says, nope, it just stays right here. <laughs> All right. It went a day later, then another tourist stops in front of the same farm and there's the same farmer standing right outside the road. The tourist says, farmer, can I take this road to Portland? Oh, Gary, he stood back a little bit confused. He looked at the road again. He said, well, you can if you want to, but they've got plenty up there already. <laughs> a little time and a little space issues right there. I've got another one, but I'm going to save it. I might tell it at the end. So I uh, also want to observe how uh, much I appreciate the first lecture. Uh, I just want to say a couple things that I value so much. Uh, that our first lecturer is a, an intern here, and I believe he has been so well welcomed. That says so much about our community. Also, I myself uh, am involved with the educational process at the Center for Swedenborgian Studies as a member of the Board of Trustees, and I couldn't be more pleased with the ethic of, learn, of learning, of research, and scholarship. This is one of the three pillars of the Center for Swedenborgian Studies. Three pillars. And Colin Amato, our, our intern here, we had Devin Zuber, a professor there the first week, is a scholarship interested in what is the conversation today in which Swedenborgians from a scholarly position can participate in bringing Swedenborgian ideas forward. And uh, that's a wonderful testimony to uh, the work that they're doing there. The other two pillars, by the way, are uh, preservation um, and the use of the Swedenborgian uh, library. Big issue there currently as to how to preserve and, uh, that space and bring this material forward into the 21st century conversation. Of course, they're doing that as well. And it would be no surprise as to what the third uh, pillar might be, which is really what we're here for today uh, as well, which is the, uh, the uh, development of Swedenborgian leadership uh, for consecrated leadership as licensed pastor, pastors, ordained clergy, 
and in particular for leadership in uh, development of spiritual community. And of course, here we are, uh, spiritual community. And I also want to observe, um, it may be your experience that you were sitting here in this wonderful group and every voice that was heard was respected and listened to. And at the same time, we recognize there are differences of reception. Is there any question? I, you do not have to raise your hand, but I do want to know that you're thinking with me. Is there any question in your mind that there are different ways of receiving that information? And that the mark of a community, the sign of a healthy spiritual community is that we can accept uh, the different views in a respectful way that contributes to our spiritual development and growth and that's a very unique process by the way so we're not asked to adopt anybody else's view here our speaker was very clear about that and yet we're asked to uh, know that there must be something about spiritual growth and development that allows us to be who we are in the present moment and to know that we maintain that integrity that's our responsibility. We don't give ourselves away. We don't adopt somebody else's idea just because you know, it's politically correct to adopt an idea or to reject an idea. No. We find a way to say, I need to listen, learn, and be who you are, not who you think you're supposed to be. Now this uh, is, begins now to uh, move in the direction of, of the talk I wish to present. And uh, there were three words I heard in the first lecture that are very relevant. I want to mention what they are. Empirical. Three, three ideas. Translating Swedenborg's ideas forward. Historical context. And accepting another person as a person. That's a value, by the way. That's a fundamental value. The, the divine human is a is the relationship between divinity and humanity. Historical context, uh, simply to give voice to this, is simply a reading of a text recognizing there are historical conditions and limitations, uh, often we have them today, which will shape the form of the text. The, the challenge is, and this is also true, there are universal fundamental ideas and values that are true and good. And of course we find that in Swedenborg's text this morning, Conjugal Love, and throughout his writings. And, uh, and that by doing so we enhance our understanding of the text in translating it forward, which is, the which is the language used at the Center for Swedenborg's and Studies, by the way, is how do we bring this language in which we find Swedenborg's ideas forward in a way that they become useful to other people today. That's what translating Swedenborg's ideas forward means. And I would uh, claim uh, all of that. That is a fundamental purpose of my talk this morning. I would like to bring some of Swedenborg's ideas forward with you. <clears throat> and in the course of, of doing so, I will start with the, the work Soul-Body Interaction, one of Swedenborg's many works. I will say a little bit about this uh, uh, work uh, as we get started, and uh, in, uh, by saying first uh, 
a bird's eye view of what perhaps <coughs> is uh, what you'll find Swedenborg's shortest work, <laughs> Soul Body Interaction. So we'll get a bird's eye view of what he says in that. This will be followed by a selective reading of portions of three paragraphs by which I hope to suggest a path of practice. <clears throat> on which fundamental actions of skillful conduct are laid out for us to see. So I would like to read a portion of three paragraphs and suggest a path of practice. To accomplish this, I will need to provide some alternative vocabulary for traditional Swedenborgian terms, in particular rational, spiritual, and natural. These occur throughout the writings, including in this beautiful short work, Soul Body Interaction. The result will be what I take to be one of many possible practical applications of Swedenborg's ideas. One of many possible practical applications of Swedenborg's ideas. So, it may be a surprise, starting the overview, to some of you to realize that Swedenborg wrote a book of only 42 pages, a mere 20 paragraphs. <laughs> I found this to be a wonderful finding. <laughs> it is soul-body interaction. What I found even more surprising is that this work was published a mere and written just prior to its publication date a mere three years before he died 1769 he died in 1780 1772 why would Swedenborg write this book three years before he died well this is where the word empirical comes in uh, Swedenborg was a scientist, and this simply illustrates a view, which I would be one who holds. Swedenborg remained empirical throughout his entire life, including in the uh, revelatory theological works. When one reads the Arcana Celestia, a.k.a. Secrets of Heaven, carefully, which was his first work, begun in 17. 46, 7, 8, the first volume, I believe, published in 1749. There is a strand of that writing which is entirely about his views of human beings in the here and now in this, worth, in this world. Yes, it was about the spiritual world, and of course I'm going to talk about that. It was about his empirical experience of human relations and learning. And he lays out his, what could be called arguably, his spiritual psychology throughout the arcana. And this reflects that he was writing for two audiences, basically throughout his life, but we could certainly say up until 17, the 1740s, he was writing entirely for a philosophical and a scientific art audience. It was to the science of his day. He was a scientist of his day, and he was asking the same questions that they were, where's the soul? 
and his finding was uh, uh, that it would have to be in the body. Why? Because the body is empirical. You could see it. It's the, it's the ultimate design. He never faltered from that. It's the design of, that God would use because it's perfect. The, the human form, physical, mental, and spiritual, is, is the highest, most perfect design there is. And he had that intuition way early in his life. And he followed it and followed it. Of course, he did get to the end of that. He did not find the soul within the physical body. Okay, but I, I get a little ahead of myself uh, when I say that. Um, but he revisited that same question in the introduction to this wonderful work. Three paragraphs of the 42 are devoted to an introduction where he goes back to the beginning during a scientific age and he says, you know, there's only three possible ideas for how the soul is related to the body. Soul-body interaction. And he dismisses one with a clarity that is as relevant today as it was the, the moment he set his pen to paper. He said that the physical body, the senses, and the neurological system, the neural networks, all of which are physical, cannot by themselves generate ideas, original ideas, nor can it generate a person. It certainly cannot generate a soul, a human, your, your, the experience of being a person. He said, no, that would not be possible, but the human body is involved in it. And he then lays out the argument that, by the way, has been accepted today as the only reasonable argument, including by scientists, which would be that the soul interacts with the body. It is a, an interaction of two completely different kinds of substance. So uh, bef uh, I would like to uh, summarize that in a way that could come into a, a bit of your experience. So he uh, posits it um, this way. Uh, he said that, um, okay, hang on just a second. <clears throat> he said that soul, is, his final conclusion came to be very end of his scientific period and now he picks it up again. At the end of his life, he must have felt that it was important to write that the soul is that which receives love and wisdom from God. The soul is that which receives love and wisdom from God, and yes, it is at the very core of our being. It's closer to us than we are to ourselves. The body is that instrument, particularly the five senses, which inform us of the world around us. <clears throat> the soul flows in from within, while the information from the senses flow in from the outside, and where they intersect, which is something like an interference pattern, is what you experience. So if you were uh, hearing these words, by the way, he has a wonderful sentence. Um, our experience is what we know from within, with intelligence and interpretation of meaning. 
conditioned by what you see and what you hear from without. And it is the meeting of your intelligence and understanding with what you are seeing and hearing that allow you to follow the ideas that you're now hearing, that I'm presenting. So you might take a moment, because we're going to come back to this a little bit, just to experience yourself sitting in your chair. There's a blackboard, you see me, you hear my voice. And if you take just a little tiny step back, you can realize that there's something <laughs> distinct, it's yourself, that's able to interpret, hear, and know what you're what, what this is meaning, why, why you're hearing this. Those two things are the interaction between the soul, you're experiencing something of, a ref of the soul as you're hearing this, and you're knowing that you need your senses. If you couldn't hear a word right now, you'd be pretty upset. So cherish that, and it's that interaction, that's it. That's the soul-body interaction in the here and now. Now this is the individual level on which Swedenborg starts with his three paragraphs of introduction and then he goes into the largest universal scale that is possible. It is of the entire human race. Anybody who has ever been born, ever, and anybody who is alive on earth now, he's very clear about that. And he said that human beings, in order for that experience that you've just had to be understood within the context of, di of the divine source and the human experience, in order that to be understood, his very first idea in soul-body interaction is that humans live in two worlds at the same time. It's an echo of Swedenborgian uh, Ideas 101, for those of us who went through the theological school, we are citizens of two worlds. And what are those two worlds? Of course, the spiritual world and the natural world. And then he simply defines in this, what is a spiritual world. And in this context, he says the spiritual world is where angels and spirits are, the natural world is where human beings are. We then learn that the earth has its life, and these ideas are so obvious, but they are as obvious as they are beautiful and profound. We learn in this work, or are reminded that the earth has its life from the physical sun, while the spiritual world has its life from its own sun. There's a sun within, shining bright which is pure love, Jehovah God, using the language that he uses. Pure love, Jehovah God, shining as a sun. And from that sun proceeds heat and life, the light, the essence of which is love and wisdom. These two, namely heat and light, love and wisdom, flow as one into the soul of every human being. And from this inmost core of our being, it flows out toward the information coming from our five senses, sight and hearing, particularly at the present moment, to result in mental experience in the mind, of which we are now the beneficiaries. 
In this way, spiritual life clothes itself, clothes, to use his language, itself with images formed by the senses to enable us to live in, as, quote, rational beings in the natural world. It is at this point of a bird's eye view that I wish to come down all the way to Earth and a particular location, which no surprise is this place here and now, to begin to convert these mental ideas into actions that you and I might be able to practice. Okay, the first step is to read portions of those three paragraphs to which I referred. Okay. Our understanding can be elevated into light, that is, wisdom, in which angels of heaven are, according, as we read, to the, according to the improvement of our understanding. Likewise, our will can be elevated into the heat of heaven, that is, into love, according to the deeds of our life. Okay. By these two, light and heat, uh, excuse me, but these two, light and heat, understanding, light, warmth, our will, while they proceed in union from the Lord and likewise flow in union into the soul of each angel and each human being, they are not received by us or experienced by us as one. Rather, light which makes the understanding is received first, and love which constitutes the will flows in only gradually, not at the same time. This is of providence because human beings are to be created anew, that is reformed, and this is affected by the understanding. For we must, and I love this phrase, this reminds me, for we must drink from, from childhood the knowledges of truth and good to teach us to live well, to will well, and to write and to act rightly. Thus, the will is formed by means of the understanding. And for, they, for the sake of this end, there is given to us the faculty of elevating our understanding into the light in which angels of heaven are, that we may see what we ought to will and what we ought to do, so that we may prosper in this world for a time and be blessed after death for eternity. End quote. Okay, now I'm going to simply summarize this idea. If you've heard this, Swedenborg has a very uh, traditional summary of what this means. And here it is. Spiritual things clothed in a human being enable us to live as a rational person, thus as a spiritually natural person. All right. Now, many of us have struggled with language like that. That is like, and this is a short work, and these are very short paragraphs. Think of 12 volumes with this kind of language. The question is, what do those words mean? 
Now I'll offer as a hint that they mean something like what we were talking about, this separation or the temporary ability to elevate the understanding and the intellect above the will so that we can learn to join them in a new way. I want to at least... Okay, thank you. Ooh, aren't you kind? So here they are. These are kind of big words. And uh, just so I know you're with me, these are the words that need to be translated forward. If we leave them like this and people try to read them, it's, I believe we're going to have some trouble. So if you want to say to yourself, okay, what could be alternative words for the word rational? Any get, anybody wish to participate for the moment right now and say, all right, what's rational? Reasoning, reasoning about what? About spiritual things. Okay, reasoning about spiritual things. Okay, thank you. Logical. Logical. Okay. Logical in terms of what? Logical in terms of uh, how you piece together an idea concept that makes sense. Um, okay, and a concept about what? Concept? About, in, about spiritual ideas. About spiritual ideas, okay. Spiritual things are now becoming spiritual ideas and back to spiritual ideas. So we're still using the word spiritual. What would... Okay, and I see Debbie making us run at this. All right. What would be the uh, an example of truth that you're loving? Spiritual truth. Ah, spiritual truth. So we're back. See how this is kind of going in a circle? <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, I've lived with this myself uh, for uh, decades. I finally said, I, I, I can't do that anymore. I want to bring this into something more like a practice. So if you're willing to journey with me a little bit now, let's say what we're about to hear, I didn't have time to write my alternative um, understanding of rational, spiritual, and natural. We didn't get to natural, okay? If you'll take a journey with me, is that what I will suggest is entirely within the ideas presented by Swedenborg, in this case, in this short work, Soul-Body Interaction. This is not a paraphrase, well, it could mean this. This is an example of by taking the context, and this is why historic, historical context is so important. What is he really trying to say? To whom is he speaking? Why is he writing these things? What is he trying to accomplish with his audience? And what I will suggest is that he is, tr well, he's, he's basically said it. So here it's, here's the first clue. Ah, okay, I have to go back here. And this is, this is a quote. The separation of the intellect and the will is of providence. So this is from the divine. <laughs> he, 
Human beings are to be created anew, that is reformed. And this is affected by the understanding, and that's what we're talking about right this moment. For we must drink from childhood, and actually we're fortunate, many of us have grown up here, we all know what children are helping them learn beautiful things, whether they're here or not. The knowledges of truth and good, there's the word truth. What are these knowledges? What's the truth? What is good that he's meaning here? To teach us, and here's the first major clue if we simply take it seriously. Okay. Gotta find it. Ah. To teach us to live well, to will well, and to act rightly. There it is. That's the context. It is an inter personal context. Human beings on the earth in the present moment and that is what the natural is. The interpersonal context where you're actually talking with other persons. So we're in a room, this is the natural. Okay, now if we take the word spiritual and want to translate it into slightly different language, let's, that could be more useful in practice, because so many people have so many different ideas about what spiritual means. So I'm going to read this one sentence and then simply substitute new language. Here's the first sentence again. Spiritual things clothed in a human being enable us to live as rational, a rational person, thus a spiritually natural person. There it is. Intelligence and compassion clothed in the mind of a human being allow us to express empathic sensitivity to the person with whom we are speaking with a skillful response of right words or a kind act. This would be intelligence and compassion. Compassion is simply the ability to see another person clearly. That's the ratio between two people. With intelligence, clothed in the mind of a human being, allow us to express empathic sensitivity. That's actually the precise definition of the rational. To the person with whom we are speaking, with a skillful response, the right word and the right action. Now let's begin uh, to put this in the form of a practice. Starting with uh, those of you who heard Susanna's talk, for example, shared a brief list of attitudes, which I have only abbreviated slightly, which are now within this idea of spiritual. Kind, humble, able to listen, reflective, that's the rational, is the reflective. These are spiritual ideas, kind, humble, and then helping others, that's in the natural, and therefore loving them. Okay? All one would have to do is simply now use your imagination to 
Put yourself in a situation where you're imagining being that way with another person. You could start with people that are very easy to, with whom to be kind, loving, and helpful, and move on to more difficult people in more difficult situations and say, I'm going to practice this. And it's good to rehearse it before you have the interaction if you can plan ahead. Many of you have opportunities to plan ahead. And then you simply begin to practice that attitude, that way of being, that way of bearing, natural, these particular values. Using your logic, yes, it's logic in the form of an interpersonal dialogue where you're actually able to hear and see what the person is presenting. So I'll bring this into one more step down, or I call it step down into practicality. Convert it slightly, the same language, words, into the, and I want to thank, uh, if I may, a uh, longtime friend and colleague who's here, uh, Torgny Vigerstad, who's very conversant in a Buddhist tradition. And he said to me after the lecture of Susanna, you know, those are very much like the five transcendent virtues in Buddhism. I said, great, what are they? Well, I said, they're these. He goes, uh, he said, there's a practice through mental training by which one can practice generosity, discipline, patience, meditation, and wisdom. I love that. They somehow connect. Spiritual things is a pretty broad category, and I believe there is room for such substitutions. Finally, and I begin to conclude now, leaving a good 10 minutes for our discussion. I, finally, we begin a practice of quieting the mind down from a reactive thought process of thinking what you're going to say while the other person is still speaking and find yourself cultivating the very qualities embodied by Swedenborg's spiritually natural person. Our intentionally kind, to become an intentionally kind, reflective, and loving person over time with a quiet mind and the skillful means to provide just what is needed to the person to whom you are speaking at just the right time. So that would be uh, an overview of Swedenborg's soul-body interaction, focusing in on portions of three paragraphs, translating them forward into a kind of a practice, and inviting us to begin to form ways to practice these virtues in our interpersonal relations in the here and now. And with that, I will end my talk uh, with time for interaction from all of you. Hang on one second. So uh, just take one moment, I do this in groups, just pause for a moment to reflect on what you've heard. Just let it in. Okay, good. George is a friend. George is a good friend. And then think about what it is you wish, you know, that's, that's good. Just let it in a little tiny bit. This is part of the practice. It's intellect, in, the soul into the body. Thank you. Go ahead. Well, when you put those three terms up there, my eye was drawn immediately to the fact that rational okay. uh, starts out with ratio. Okay. If you look at the word. It's okay. there. It's written. Okay. And when you look up the word ratio, it means 
the correlation, the relationship, the correspondence. So uh, isn't it wonderful that that ratio starts out ahead of the spiritual and the natural, bringing that relationship and the correlation and the correspondence. And uh, also the area that we're in experiences avalanches. Uh, the instability of, say, rock formation. The, the, uh, so we need the rational to prevent avalanches coming in to destroy the spiritual and the natural. Thank you. Uh, Susanna. Um, I also was drawn to the board uh, for the thought that when you originally said about the experience from without, yes. the experience from within, right. and what we do with it, that just to summarize, the, 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 the rational could, could be explained by it's our intention and our understanding that we, and then the spiritual, that we are spiritual beings that will live forever, and the natural is, and that forever is now. Okay, that, can, uh, she's holding that thought. Now I have, okay, so I, again, when I ask you to take a moment to, to, to listen to what was just said, actually I'm partly doing that because I need a moment to just hear what was just said. Susanna's able to hold that in her being, right? That whole relationship between eternal spiritual being in the here and now. That's the ratio that you're able to embody. And George said something similar. So I saw a hand from Facebook probably, and I'm going to call on Richard first. If you want to speak something, please do. I'm going to go to Facebook second. I love it. I love it, Richard. That was wonderful. Thank you. I, I, I had to work on I love it. Um, it's in the delivery. But the, um, the, I, when I was looking at you writing the, with the writings there on the board, uh, I, I was constantly separating the rational and the natural, and the, the spiritual was sort of tra transcendent somehow. Um, because when you were talking about practicing the process of uh, becoming rational, I, I sort of see rational and natural together. Uh, and it's only through practice that the spiritual comes into it because the Lord can sort of infiltrate into that process. And, uh, and we, th then we start to sort of uh, put the Lord first in, in how we are working towards um, uh, putting that rational process into action. Um, that, that we, yeah, we know we need to be nice, so I'm really practicing that, and then, and then eventually uh, you're really doing it because it's what we're supposed to be doing because that's what the Lord wants us to do. Okay. Lovely. Thank you. I have two comments from Facebook. Um, Carol LeBaron wants to know if rational equals analytical. Carol LeBaron wants to know if rational equals analytical. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, my response would be context, context, and context. If, uh, so in the present context, analytical would only apply 
in a reflective process, probably after a conversation, whereby you're saying, okay, I've had an interaction with someone, it went pretty well. Again, if you're practicing compassion and intelligence and understanding and wanting to help, this is charity, and you're using your intellect and allowing yourself to pause before reacting to what you've heard, but you really want to respond. A good example of analytical thinking would be if you say, you know, I'm really good with this at this point. I need to take a step back. Let's talk again in an hour or tomorrow. I need to think about what I've heard. And that could be a process of analysis, mostly of your own reaction, so that you're using your mind in that way. That's what analytical means in this context. Go ahead. Wow, Jonathan Crow just asked. I'm going to ha have to. Uh, I'm going to have to consult my higher authorities uh, on this issue, but I'm going to say that uh, the, basically what I I know about the spiritual world is that uh, it's very much like this world, and there is a natural heaven, so to speak, a spiritual heaven and a celestial heaven. And angels are often on the inter, right on the border between two heavens. In that respect, they could very well be aware of two heavens, celestial heaven and a spiritual heaven, and uh, uh, the natural heaven. So, yes, we have that capacity as humans, and angels are humans, and they live in three worlds. They live in multiple dimensions as well. It's my best effort. We'll handle that off camera with other people. And Saturday. Saturday and how angels interact with human beings. There we go. And we have time for another uh, question, if you wish. Okay, I have Jesse first. Why don't you go ahead? Relationship is what makes therapy work the best. And I was thinking you were describing the perfect therapy relationship, and maybe it's the heavenly influence that's the healing that's really important. Okay. So, uh, Jesse, by the way, is a uh, trained child psychologist, school psychologist, so as Colin is. Um, I myself am a certified pastoral counselor, and her. Uh, reception of this as the perfect therapeutic relationship is not unfounded. To listen with complete detachment for the sole benefit of the other person allows us to know what's true about that person and to bring forth the, their well-being not our own, their well-being. And, of course, it brings our own well-being forward uh, because <laughs> you then become a very good therapist and that feels good. Um, Torgny, go right ahead. And this will be the last comment because we... Uh, I think what you just said is a perfect description of how those three words work together. Say, say just which three words? Rational, spiritual, and natural come together in that phrase that you just said, which we wonder if you repeat it. Well, it's because what I heard was that you have an input, you're taking in 
Right. So you're using all your senses to take in, and then you're having you're using your training, and then you you let go and think only of helping the other person. Right. And that makes it transcendent. Okay, so or spiritual, as we call it. If you can let that in. Um, I don't have time for my last joke, which was about time. Okay, so, so this is about time, and I want to thank Trevor for his timekeeping. Uh, so, minister walks up to the pulpit next to his sermon, very carefully in front of the congregation, looks at his watch, takes it off, and lays it next to his sermon. Nine-year-old girl sitting next to her mommy says, Mommy, in the pew, what does it mean when the minister takes off his watch, lays it next to the sermon? His mother, her mother looks down at her, rolls her eyes, and says exasperatedly, absolutely nothing. <laughs> All right. Okay. 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 Oh, shoot. <laughs>